Parenting is hard. Few of us feel up to the task. The world is shifting, quickly and dramatically. All of us feel the changes affecting our families. The stress and pressure can be intense. We are here to help sort the good and the bad, provide insight and bring hope. Welcome to Brilliantly Brave Parenting. We're so glad you stopped by. Hi, and welcome to Brilliantly Brave Parenting. I am Pastor Brad Mathias here with my crazy sidekick, Robert. Not that crazy, but it's good to be here. It Can you believe good. episode 70? 70. That's pretty crazy. That is pretty crazy. So, Robert, we've been, uh, we took a hiatus from the last season until now. A lot of stuff's happened. Yeah. You got out of prison two weeks ago? Yep. Two weeks. Actually, it was yep. more like a week and a half. Okay. You're looking good. You lost weight in jail. Well, you know, you, you get that rigorous exercise time that you don't <laughs> in your normal schedule. We're kidding, of course. Uh, it I, was just probation. We had some significant changes in our life. Yes, we both have. Of us. What, tell our audience, what's going on with you? I had my first grandbaby. Nice. Uh, about three weeks ago. Um, when we're recording, so three weeks ago. I don't know when this is coming out. But yeah, it was, it was incredible. My daughter, Zoe, had her, had Lucy. She was born and in Colorado. I was able to be at the hospital and... It was fantastic. So it's it's very it's a whole you know about this because you are a like a professional grandfather. You've been doing this for a little while. <laughs> oh yeah, eighteen months. I'm way ahead of you. Yeah. But I mean, it's it really is. It's it's crazy. Kids having kids. You know, you just and what it does to your heart as a grandparent. It's amazing. It. I don't know about you, but for me, it really affected my perspective. My oh yeah. Time. Oh absolutely. I was able to enjoy grandkids more. Mm-hmm. Than my own because I wasn't so stressed about if I was doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. It's hard. It's hard though for me because she's across the country. You know, I'm not going to be able to be there all the time. So that's going to be. It's going to be challenging. But I'm going to be visiting Colorado a whole lot more. Well, uh, I am sympathetic to your plight uh, since I just relocated to Maine. Mm, that's your big new. Yeah, that's my big new. That's pretty substantial. It now is. is Maine in the United States? <laughs> Kind of. Uh, it is uh, tucked between Canada and independence. Uh, sort of, wow. You know, the governor is an independent. You know, the, mm. they're not into the Republican-Democrat uh, polarity that the rest of the, the culture seems to be taken up with. Mm. They have uh, gay rights and gun control. Um, That's flipped. Whacked. So, you know, it's a very strange culture. So mm. these guys all tote guns. But they're also gay rights. And so it's like Republicans met Democrats and had a baby, and that's Maine. So tell me, I, I know this, but for our listeners, what took you to Maine? What what was the prompting that took you there? Uh, other than losing my ever-loving mind, <laughs> um, I got a call from the Holy Spirit. I was drawn to Maine as a pastor, as an Anglican priest, and uh, was assigned to the New England Diocese as a development of missions for the for the bishop there. How exciting. It is actually. Uh, I'm like a road trip priest now. That's uh, perfect for you. Uh, it kind of is. I drive uh, all over different parishes in New England, from uh, Massachusetts to New Hampshire to Maine, and I'll be going to Vermont eventually. So hmm. that's fantastic. It actually has been a blast. And a quick shout out to the to the ladies and, and gentlemen at St. Margaret's in Conway, New Hampshire. I was able to be the rector there for five weeks um, while theirs was out and uh, developed some great relationships. That's great. That's so awesome. Isn't it weird how God just opens up these roads that you never, I mean, yes, you love cold weather and you love road tripping or whatever, but Maine and I mean, it just kind of happens. It's it's just yeah. remarkable as, you, as he just unfolds these different kind of 
avenues well, that what's we couldn't have done by ourselves. We couldn't Absolutely. Have and, and what's remarkable is he talks to your wife, too. Mm. So it's not just Brad went to Maine. It's, you know, my wife heard the same call and said, yes, I'm willing to leave my grandchild and be 1,500 miles away. That's awesome. To serve God. So I think uh, both of us are experiencing new season in life mm-hmm. um, as grand grandfathers, which is way cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also new season in life and ministry. Yeah. And so one of the continuities, one of the things I'm really enjoying about this week is we're both in Nashville working on the podcast that started several years ago. Yeah. You know, we're almost at 15,000 listeners. That's crazy. So uh, God has definitely blessed this. Mm-hmm. And we've got sponsors and everything this year. So um, I'm pretty excited. And I, I wanted to do a visual just to get people to watch our YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Um, so every episode, I'm going to do something about Maine. Okay. Just... You know, I'm learning. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, did you know that Maine, Mainers, people That's a who thing. live in Maine Mainers? are called Mainers. So they are not. They really? are. You can watch the news up there. It says, you know, Mainers think this, Mainers think that. That's how they refer to themselves. Now, if you really get to know them, they'll use another term, maniac. That makes more sense. And so uh, I mean, they're, no they're kind of proud of their eccentricities yeah. there. So they call themselves maniacs. I like that, actually. But one of the things I've you may or may not know is that one of the biggest exports in Maine, uh, besides lobsters, is cranberries. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Cranberries are a big part of Maine. Um, they have bogs or whatever that are required to grow them. Bogs? Like a lot of water. Huh. In, uh, low-lying areas. So like northern bogs, they like cold, they like water. I had, I had no moose idea. Moose like that, too. Um, so maybe the moose <laughs> like the cranberries. I haven't it researched it that far. But you know, so I have a I have a drink here that I can't name on air, but it it has cranberries in it and has other berries in it. Can I see it? Yeah, you what can see it? it. And so I think their biggest export is blueberries. So really, Maine is just a berry state. And so one of the really cool side effects is you cannot go to a restaurant without fresh pie. Like every single restaurant either has blueberry pie or blueberry pancakes. I've never heard of this drink. Well. You're going to have to go online and see what the heck we're talking about. And our listeners are going to have to check this out because that's kind of cool. I'll put it right in the middle of the frame. I think that'd be wonderful. Okay. So without too many more uh, personal introductions, you and I are catching up a little on air. Mm-hmm. Apologize, I guess, for that. But you look great, dude. That, thank you. Yeah, thank you, you, Brad. You, I haven't seen you in a while and your beard's grown out and <laughs> you've lost weight. You look really handsome. I'm kind of proud of you. Well, thank you. I think it's because you've been up with the maniacs that uh, anything. Uh, I'm just so lonely. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, here we but are. Thank you. Uh, we, we are back in Nashville. We are enjoying taping. And one of the great things about doing uh, podcasts is we get to meet some really interesting people mm-hmm. and uh, people who are in different stages of life. And so today we have a very special guest who's a local, someone that I met a couple of years ago. Uh, I think we were helping you in a move. And uh, I got to sort of experience life from the other side, which is the pastor sort of helping a single parent. And so our guest today is Lori Brown. She's a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and a s- certified intuitive eating counselor. Welcome. Wow. Yes, that's a lot. That's not cool. Welcome to Brilliantly Brave, Lori, and say hi to our audience. Hi. It's great to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and a little nervous. You can just relax. We are are nothing to get nervous about. (laughs) We're quite quite remarkably unremarkable. So um, welcome. I'm a little scared to talk to you because I have, like Brad said, lost quite a bit of weight, and I haven't done it in a way that's probably completely healthy. So I'm prepared to get my 
nutritional butt kicked oh, in we, this interview. We, we don't have to do that. We don't have to, you know, in front of all your audience, yeah. make, make your story public. I call my diet the bacon wing diet. Oh. So I just eat bacon and wings. That's all I eat. Okay. Well, honestly, I can say that, um, let's see, I've been a dietitian for 17. I have to pause because it has, it lines up with the years of my oldest child. So I've been a hmm. dietitian for 17 years and I really have heard almost everything. So really nothing surprises me. And people often think like, oh, um, there's a little concern maybe that there's going to be judgment. No judgment. Like I've heard everything and there's really no well, moral attached to know. with food. So. That's really good. To know. <laughs> and I don't just eat bacon and wings. I do the keto thing. But, yes. um, yeah, very I've popular from, right now. It is popular. And I've heard a lot of people um, be pretty critical of it, saying that that's not balanced and it's not, you know. And uh, what do you think of that? Because because it is popular. A lot of people out yeah. there are following the keto way. What yeah, is your view on that? Let's jump into the deep end. Like, yeah. let's just go there. So, yeah, the one of the credentials I have is a certified intuitive eating counselor. And so, that modality, it's really a method, and the reason why I like it and why I decided to get that credentialing is because of the research that goes with mm. it. So when I was, like, plotting out, like, okay, if I'm going to go on a podcast, here's my hope. I would hope people would listen or, I guess, view and say, okay, even if I don't agree with her, she seems pretty authentic, and I at least could chase her evidence. Mm -hmm. As a practitioner, I always want people to know that there's evidence in what I say. So with certified um, intuitive eating or that method, there's so much evidence behind it, which is why I was drawn to it in the first place. Maybe like two years ago, I started reading the book, looked at the research. There's like now probably 90 pieces of research. Wow. But that being said, it's such a different way of eating and the experience of eating because instead of looking kind of externally and saying have this set of food groups, or we're going to have um, this meal plan or this diet per se, it's much more intrinsically based. So you are paying large amounts of attention to your hunger and fullness initially, but how things make you feel. So how satisfied are you, not only in terms of how does it taste, but how does it satisfy you an hour in four hours after meal. So it's such a different way of looking at nutrition, but the results are pretty fantastic in ter terms of like sustainability. Mm. And um, I like that approach so that people are not going on and off of plans because I've been doing this for such a long time and I see the cycle. So someone starts a diet or a meal plan, they do it for three months, maybe upwards to three years. That's probably the max I've ever seen anyone do a diet, and then they stop. Right. And normally they regain the weight and then all the emotional baggage that comes with that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, like I'm really intrigued and interested in um, gastro, like GI health, the gut health, and a lot of implications come from that. So if you kind of can avoid that or work through that, it's just a little bit more of a restorative balance way of, of eating, if you will. So what are some baseline tips that you can give us about what it is that you're talking And what is it again? Count, uh, intuitive? It's it's called intuitive eating. Okay. Yeah. And what does that mean? Wow. Okay. So um, I think there, there are principles. There's guiding principles. And so authentically, I should have brought my book because I didn't even come. We could have walked right through them and looked hmm. them all up. Um, but the fastest way to explain it is just instead of having a, a plan guide you, so you having a structured meal plan, you are actually looking internally 
for your food. So we need to pause. If can I get my phone? Because I'll just read you. I'll sure. just read it to you. We can pause, Robert. Um, Sorry. Or we can. Yeah. Let me. I can answer you, right? it, but I can just. <laughs> you run. Okay. Yeah, I'm just. I think the easiest way to paraphrase it, and I think you said you can do like links, which we can link lots of things up after the show in terms of sources and research, but an intuitive eater is just a person who makes food choices without experiencing guilt or any dilemmas morally, and they're just honoring their hunger, respecting their fullness, and enjoying the pleasure of eating. Hmm. I like that. I I do too. And as a father of someone, uh, I had a teenage daughter who struggled with anorexia. I Uh, heard that podcast. Yeah, pretty intense uh, process. And I know many of our listeners uh, either have children, uh, teens, or preteens now, even that are struggling with eating disorders, bulimia, anorexia. I'm just curious. Um, this sounds like a solution that would really address some of those core image issues that that eating disorders come from. Yeah, I think the reason why I was drawn to it is I have a background in eating disorders, and I still work in the eating disorders community. But you are onto something when you're talking about prevention. And obviously, we have treatment modalities, and we could have a whole conversation about are they best and are they serving that population ideally. But if we backtrack that a bit, what would be most ideal is if we have more prevention in place. And so body image is one of those um, areas that we can dialogue about, but also just having a healthy relationship with food. So one of my favorite authors and we can link to that as well. Uh, she talks about just having a healthy relationship with food, and she talks about being a competent eater. And there's a really fast screen that you can do just about eating competence. And her name is Ellen Satter, and she walks through all sorts of things in terms of the family dynamics and if families are interested in how they can raise children to have a healthy relationship with food. Wow, that's important. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think uh, growing up, I just never had any exposure to that issue. Um, but when you have daughters yeah, um, and you see the crush of the, the sort of popular media and social media in particular, this imaging all the time uh, and how none of us like a picture of ourselves. Yeah. You add to that the insecurity of adolescence, uh, the pressure to be liked and loved, all those factors at once. It seems like it's a huge risk for adolescents today to try to control their appearance just by not eating. Yeah, I think there's a lot of transitions. We know statistically, you know, kind of junior high when I'm, I'm speaking largely to girls, and I do not want to undermine the impact that all all people can struggle. Um, boys can struggle with it as well, but hormonally driven, so girls and boys, but we see just a little bit of a higher incident in girls mm-hmm. kind of in that junior high age when they're going through puberty. And then another transition that's very vulnerable is that college transition. Mm -hmm. And then women, again, so much hormone-driven is around the reality of maybe childbirthing. And again, you're speaking of that body image of when we gain weight and then the pressure of what our bodies maybe should or shouldn't look like postpartum. And then another time that's interesting that we don't always think about is just the transition around menopause. And so that's, that's giving a very overarching theme just for females, but you're speaking of transitions and that can mm-hmm. be really hard. I, I'm nodding my head in writing notes because um, I'm 49. Mm-hmm. So my wife of 28 years might be in one of those transitions. Sure. I'm not saying she is. I'm just <laughs> saying she could be. Right. Um, 
And I've noticed that, mm. that there, that I've had to step up a little bit more as a, as a husband and affirm her. Yeah. And she's beautiful. I mean, my wife is smoking hot. Mm. She's a gorgeous woman inside and out. Um, but I really, I recognize that these, these transitions are hard and are. I've noticed it in my own self. Like sure. at 49, looking in the mirror, I'm like, you know, that what that used to be a muscle, you know, <laughs> Uh, now what is that? Now? Yeah, what is that now? That's not a muscle. Um, yeah, our bodies do change. And I, I love the fact that you're approaching diet and eating in a way that allows a person to respond to that in a healthy way without sort of baggage. Right. And ideally, the goal is that we're nourishing our bodies in a way that's sustainable and that's really empowering a person to consider how that feels. And so it can, it can go with a person through those transitions because when the focus is not on how do I look and am I this thin ideal or even what we imagine we need to look like, but how do I feel? You know, what is my energy like? And there's some other markers that we can, we can put into the mix, but it's, it's just such a sustainable way to approach the relationship with food. So it, it, is, it is really helpful, I think, as a practitioner, and you can start at such a young age, you know. All, all ages are pretty accessible in terms of being intuitive and learning our own hunger and fullness. Ellen Satter talks about that being the first way we can empower people with, with trust. It's the best way to say, I trust you. Yeah, you can eat as much as you want and you can stop when you're full. And on this side of things with a practitioner, when I'm a practitioner, I hear so many stories where that wasn't offered to people and it's really been problematic, um, you know, as adults into their you know, I have someone right now who's in her 50s who that just wasn't her lived childhood experience. And it's been really difficult to navigate that. So so what do you say to the person listening or someone that just that meets you and says, you know, I've tried all these diets. I've tried to get control of um, what I eat. I've followed this program, this meal plan, this whatever. And it's just like you said before, um, it started off great, maybe maintained it for a year or whatever. And then it just fell off the wagon and beat myself up about it. So I'm hearing you, Lori, what would you, where do I start getting healthy in my relation to food? Where, what's a starting point? Right. Well, I've mentioned a couple sources, like my yeah. favorite, uh, Ellen Satter, and then the author of Intuitive Eating. I think those are both really accessible. So people can, I know we're kind of a society of Google. We love to yeah. go out and research and do quizzes on our own. And those are great places that people can start. Sometimes, depending on where you just land on that spectrum, you might need to work with a professional, someone who has the, uh, the experience of, of working with, with that population. Um, so I think what I would, first of all, say to anybody is it's not just you. Most people mm. that I work with just feel so alone and so much shame and embarrassment around having body image issues. And the reality is... It's more of a cultural issue than it is an individual issue. And I think we all struggle. It doesn't really matter if it's our nutrition or if it's something else. You know, you mentioned me being a single mom, and I process this in my own storyline, but I think we're fed a message of A plus B equals C. And so with my clients, I unpack really often, we have been led to believe if I eat this food group and I do this movement, then I'm going to be thin mm -hmm. or be really healthy. And in reality, we have a lot of research 
that tells us that's not always the case in people's lived experiences is that's not always the case. You can eat a certain meal plan and go to the gym a certain amount of times and maybe not get the body that you wish you could have. That's really painful when that lines up. A plus B does not equal C. So Mm -hmm. I would start with normalizing for people that that's a lot of people's lived experiences. That's kind of a cultural backdrop that we're in that we've been led to believe that's not always the case. And so I point them to some research to normalize what they've been through yeah. and just try and encourage some compassion and then information. And then if they feel like they need help, then then professionals in the area that can, that can help that's them. That's really good, taking the pressure off of, you know, having to measure yourself. I think so much about our life, especially as parents, we get trapped in this. We're constantly measuring ourselves against other people or against ideals that don't yeah. even exist. Yeah. And so what I'm hearing from you is the goal here is to be to be healthy, mind, body, and soul, yes. right? Not yeah. just, you know, work towards this body. It's more about really holistically trying to get healthy. Is that yeah, you did Fair. a great job. I think you did better than me, like paraphrasing that. So thank you. That is no. that is absolutely the the heart and I think the end goal. It is so connected to mind body. And I would put in there spirit as well, because they're yeah. all connected. You know, if one is out of balance, then it doesn't feel completely quote unquote healthy. So So I'm interested. I, I deal a lot with single parents. It's what what I do, yeah, you know, as a ministry, you know, besides this. Um how do you balance this? I know the life of a single mom is hectic yeah. and it's overwhelming and that kind of thing. And typically in a single parent's life, um, the last person that you think about is you. And what you are talking about here has everything to do with like making sure that you are a healthy individual. How mm-hmm. do you just personally as a single mom balance the craziness of being a single mom as well as being passionate about your, your holistic health? That is a great question, and um, I think it's it's just a continual area of of growth and practice. I I have a personality. I often say I'm in recovery from like a type A personality because so often I just want to arrive and like right. check it off the list in in almost every area of my life, and that's that's an area where you don't arrive. You know, you may you may do a practice, whether it's, you know, going for a walk or connecting with a friend or journaling, whatever you do to kind of take care of yourself, making nutritious choices. But it speaks of a recurring theme and a practice to having those disciplines and those supports in your life. And so the reality is there's more of a spiral. It's kind of like three steps forward, one step back, five steps forward, 15 back. And that's really hard, at least for my personality, because it can feel like you're not arriving. Right. So I think it's just slow and steady. It's good. Yeah. I'm I'm sitting here thinking as a parent, um, there's people listening to us right now who they have a a junior high or a a teenager who's just coming to their home and said, I'm not eating meat. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, this sort of popular right now, the gluten-free, the vegan versus vegetarian and all the different nuances it's sort of like they're sort of experimenting um, absolutely yeah and and it could be for reasons from body image to i don't want acne to i don't want to harm animals mm-hmm. i mean everything in between what advice do you give a parent should they react to those things or 
What does a parent do when that? <laughs> well, I'm a mom to a teenager. That's why I'm laughing because it's like if you have the big reaction, you you can be sunk with so many um, teenager personalities, right? So I think um, the hardest part for me is, as a parent, is having that neutral and curious response, not reacting like, what? You don't want to eat meat? Yes, you are going to eat meat. Versus like, that's really interesting. Could you tell me more? And trying to get to the heart of it, like you were saying, there could be so many contributing factors. Is it more of this new ethical stance or could there be some fear around food or did they have did they hear something like I'm really concerned about what kids are hearing in the classrooms now Mm -hmm. they get some really interesting and sometimes extreme science lessons so kind of neutrally exploring with them from a place of curiosity interesting can you tell me more about why and using a lot of open-ended questions so maybe you can get to the heart of it And then in that wisdom, trying to determine if that's going to serve them. Because there's times that you can remove a food group and really you can replace something to make sure that they're getting the energy. At the end of the day, they just need energy. And then there's times if it's out of, you know, like what you're talking about, if it's a case where it is based off of a body image issue or fear for them, then they may need some professional help because the sooner that you get that, the more likely you are for that to spiral into a full-out eating disorder. So I don't know that that's really a clear answer, if I answered that clearly, but I think it, it's not it's not a black and white answer because it's so situational. So Yeah. Well, if I heard you right, I think you said a nice, neutral response. That's probably a great starting yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, get foundation. to the heart. Yeah, yeah because uh, most likely it is a phase. Most likely it won't necessarily last more than a week or a month or something, but occasionally it does. And so that might be the time when you really got to go, okay, what is this? Right. Um, Robert, I know you've raised a few girls Mm -hmm. um, and and I raised two. And it's, it's, but you're exactly right. It's one of those things, you know, popular, right? My, my one daughter was like, when she was younger, she was all about tacos and pizza or whatever. And then all of a sudden she came home one day and said, I'm not eating meat anymore. Like, and it was, and then our, you know, cooking for everyone else that eats meat and then her, you know, and then she just moved away from it completely. And I'm not going to do chocolate because they enlist slaves in Africa to get the cocoa beans. I'm like, oh my goodness. And, but I did find that the best way to approach her would just to be curious. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, because at the end of the day, as a parent, our job is not necessarily to just enforce or or whatever. Our job is to really get go after the heart of our kids. I right. mean, that's that's the goal, right? And so often we don't we don't do that when we lead with behavioral or that's not right or whatever. But being curious is what builds relationship. And so I think that's a really good point: is being neutral. And um, it doesn't mean you can't guide or question or challenge, but don't lead from the place of challenge. Yeah, it's not a pushback. Right. Yeah, you've got, you've got to let them. I, I like the very beginning of our conversation. You talked about establishing trust with your food choices. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen for some some of the clients that you've, you yeah. know, patients you've helped. And I, I'm thinking as a parent, are we respecting our kids enough as they get older to make these choices? So that's a, I guess that's even a, if they're wrong choices, exactly because those are yeah. sometimes the most important lessons that kids learn or that I learn is the making the wrong choice and the repercussions of that. Well, and kind of in line with that, you 
when you talk about the storylines that we are influencing and imprinting upon our children regarding nutrition, one that's so influential, and it comes from such well-intended parents. I can understand both sides, but now when you roll that out and I see the end result is this idea of good and bad. Like, oh, I can't eat that. That's bad for me. And it just generates so much anxiety and fear for people if they've been raised kind of in militant homes where this mm. this this line is drawn of that's bad for me. I can't have that. Or if foods were really just completely not allowed. And so it can go one extreme or the other. But one of my favorite pieces of research, um, it's they use college students because they're easy to to draw up on. But it just shows how if they were raised in a home where it was more controlled, their parents were more controlling, it didn't turn out so great for them. They mm-hmm. either they had things that we didn't necessarily want for our kids. So they either had higher issues of eating disorders or they gained weight or they just had dysregulated appetites. They're eating in the absence of hunger. But things that show they're not super connected internally. And their experience was that they were raised in a more controlling home where their parents mm-hmm. were trying to tell them what to eat versus children that or raising that structure of, I trust you. So it, it does point to this idea of trying to be more neutral versus good, bad, right, wrong, and removing that morality around food. Hmm. I think that's really good. What what would you say, I think I probably know where you're going to go with this, to those of us that um, do the diet drinks, the, the you know, um, what's your view as a nutritionist about these diet products that are on the market? Yeah, I want to clarify. Do you mean, like, give me an example. Diet maybe. Coke. Okay, so like things um, that have artificial sweetener. Yes. Yeah. But, I, you know, I don't get the sugar, so I'm not going to gain the weight. Yeah. But I'm putting toxic whatever in my body. I mean, right. What's your view on, on right. diet products? Right. So my, my view typically is all things in moderation, including moderation. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, our bodies are really amazing. We can handle all sorts of things. But I remember I had a client one time that was drinking like a two liter of Diet Coke per day. Well, it doesn't matter at that point if it's Diet Coke or Coke. That's pretty excessive in terms mm-hmm. of the implications. And so there is some interesting research if you look at you know, the artificial sweetener, I think it's gotten a little sensationalized because if we look at what it's saying to us, you have to look at, first of all, our bodies are not the same as uh, a laboratory. So when you're looking at the research and we're also not rats and the dose, you know, the <laughs> dose, of us, the Brad. dose, <laughs> the dose is interesting. They were giving them really, really, really high amounts. So there were some scary things that came out of that research, but most of us aren't drinking the amounts in terms that if would you were to cause that kind right, of thing. so yeah, you know, all things in moderation, including moderation. There, there are thousands of people who just uttered a sigh of relief. Yeah. Well, that, and yeah. that's kind of why there's probably oh, thousands of people that are so going to message me and say, "Are you sure you have a license?" You know, it. That's 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 when we're yeah, like, there's you a lot can more who a, are going to say thank you. Um, that's one where you draw the line really quickly. You know, it's it's a it's a hot button for sure. It, it There's really some is. passionate viewpoints with food and drinks, and it's so interesting because I use the joke often. Like, can you imagine if there was all this debate about like foot health? There's it's just <laughs> really heated around nutrition, and I think it goes back to body image. Mm. Are we really interested in in all these facts about food because we really care, or because we are convinced it's going to keep us thin or because we are trying to prevent it's like this interesting dialogue about control so yeah 
Yeah, I I can sense we could go along <laughs> yeah. a long way with this. I, I, as I have moved to New England and I've seen that population is significantly older mm. than than Tennessee where I've been for 20 years. Yeah. And so I've seen sort of this control mechanism where mm. if I eat healthy in my 50s and 60s I'll live longer. Well, understandable, yeah. Yeah, and so and that's not assured. Mhm. Right. And so I I just I feel like we've touched the tip of an iceberg where we really are in many ways trying to control something yeah. mm-hmm. with food. Right. And I like the fact that you're offering uh, our audience another way mm. that they can step into a different way of approaching how they <clears throat> think about food and then about their own bodies and the need that food fulfills, you know, sustenance, strength, energy, alertness, things that we need on a daily basis. It's a lot more than just what gene size we are. Sure. Yeah. Very and true. our, our spiritual and mental health matters too. So mm-hmm. thank you. Well, Robert, we've had a, a sort of a round table here of yeah. discussion and I, I don't think there's any, uh, there's not many topics that affect more people than diet and yeah. nutrition and, and because we all eat. And we all That's right. And I love the fact that you're demystifying some of this stuff because I think we're yeah. really scared. Of, I mean, we don't, there are so many choices and so many voices speaking about nutrition to our lives, you know, pro, con, whatever. So I I'm, I'm appreciate you giving some clarity and taking some of the pressure off. Um, and I love the idea of just trying to get to the place where we have a healthy relationship with food. Um, not only what we're putting into our bodies, but how we're framing it in our minds. Mm. So thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Yes. We want to thank Lori Brown for being a part of the Brilliantly Brave Parenting Podcast. She yeah. came in the studios today and took some time out. Um, if you want to know more about Lori or some of the things that were referenced today in the podcast, we'll have those in our show notes on the SoundCloud app. That's great. Robert, do you have anything <laughs> left to add? <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't know <laughs> where you wanted to land that. Um, no, it has been a great conversation. We're so grateful that you took time to be with us and um, make sure to check out our YouTube channel and, and figure out what mystery drink we have on the table here. Um, our friend from, our friends from Maine bring this to you. Right? Mainers. Yeah, yeah. They're called Mainers. I like maniacs better. <laughs> well, uh, as the only maniac in the room now, um, I can say that it is always uh, uh, an encouragement to us as a ministry that uh, people would go online and listen to our stuff, but also that they would subscribe to, follow us, uh, and even donate to this ministry, which is a nonprofit 501c3. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks. God bless. And uh, tune in next Tuesday. We'll hear you then. We'll hear you then? That was bad. Yeah. We'll see you again. We'll see you again. Not hear you then. That's a maniac. See you next week. Goodbye. Be encouraged, parents. You are not alone. In Paul's letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, he writes, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Brilliantly Brave Parenting wants to be an encouragement and support that parents can rely on. Would you consider liking us and sharing us with a friend? As a part of the Tween Gospel Alliance, we are a nonprofit organization dependent on the support of friends like you. Thanks for stopping by. We'll be right here next week.
Brad, you know I'm a foodie, right? Absolutely. Okay, I want to tell you about this awesome coffee experience. It's called CJ's Coffee Culture and Community. It is a faith-run coffee culture. And the thing that's really cool about this is that they roast their own beans, they have delicious coffees, and they, they have two brick and mortar, so two coffee bars, as well as a virtual location at cjscoffeecafe.com. Here's the cool thing. They ship their beans, they ship their coffee anywhere in the world, so you don't just have to be in Texas to enjoy it. CJ's Coffee Culture and Community. Awesome. We are excited to announce the Storms of Life study, Living Beyond Stressed Out and Overwhelmed. It's a great subtitle, Living Beyond Stressed Out and Overwhelmed. Yeah, I mean, at this point, we know that students are stressed. And for parents and pastors, it's important to know what are the top three things that are really on the minds of our kids. So Brad, walk us through what they can expect from the Storms of Life. This is an eight-week study. It has uh, video insights. It has uh, presentations from a actual youth retreat with junior high and high school students. These kids are going to learn about how their faith can help them fight back the stress that they're living with every day at school. Check it out on iShineLive.com.